Welcome to the Rise Up series. This is a series for men. The world is knocking men down and trying to keep them from their God-ordained purpose, to lead others out of darkness and into the light. Every man knows what it feels like to get knocked down, but not every man knows how to get back up again. And if a man gets knocked down enough times, he may even stop trying to get back up again. This series is intended to help men stand against the onslaught from the culture that might knock them down and will help those men who have been knocked down to get back up again. God has called you to a higher purpose. Welcome to Rise Up. Welcome to the monthly Myth Breakfast. We'll uh, open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for this time, this opportunity to gather as men. And we thank you, Lord God, that, um, that we can come and we can <coughs> excuse me, fellowship like this and uh, partake of the food and, and to spend this time together. And not just that, Lord, but we can also grow in our faith during this time. And I pray, Lord, that you would use these, this, this brief time, this, this simple message as a way of communicating to us the, those things that we need to hear. And Lord, whether it be the person standing up here or the people sitting down there or the people that will watch us later on, um, or maybe you're gonna watch it right now, um, we pray, Lord, that, that you would um, open our eyes to see what you would say to your church. We thank you and praise you and love you in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you guys, maybe it's just me, but I found in my life <clears throat> that there are times when people disagree with me. Does that ever happen to any of you? Maybe not. Maybe it's just me. Of course, it, ha it happens to everyone. Even when we are perfectly right, and, and I'm just going to, you know, suggest that that's possible just for a moment. Even when we're perfectly right, there will be people who will disagree with us. And we accept that as reality. You know, one of the one of the one of the realities that if you don't accept that as reality, it'll create great problems in your life. If you think that everyone always has to agree with you, um, it will lead to great disagreement with other people because that's just not how life is. And there are lots of reasons for why people disagree with us, right? You know, differing opinions, different worldviews, different theology. You know, is Jesus right-handed or left-handed? You know, who, you know we, we can get into a conflict over that. We can get into disagreement over that. It's dumb, but we could. You know, conflicting desires or goals and, of course, sin leads to disagreements. And my goal with you this morning is not to tell you how not to have conflict because no one can tell you that. As long as we're in these bodies, as long as we're functioning in this world and actually participating in this world, there's going to be conflicts. What, what I want to talk about is avoiding a pitfall that many fall into in, when we come into these places of disagreement. And, and when we fall into that pitfall, it, it, it creates, it, it, it affects the way we live our lives. And it, and it makes our lives less enjoyable. It hinders our relationships, not with just other people, but also with God. When we're, when we're not handling disagreements correctly, 
it, it creates dysfunction, not just in the relationships, but also with, with God. So our conflict for today is conflict. Conflict is a normal function of life. No one can get through this life without experiencing conflict. It's not possible. It's until you are perfect and everyone and everything around you is perfect, there will be conflict. It's just a matter of life. It's a reality of life. Now, most people react to conflict, but I want to talk to you about not reacting to conflict, but responding to it. And there is a difference. Typically we react when something happens, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the equal and opposite reaction, you know, something happens to us. There's this, this natural reaction that takes place. So what should we be doing as we respond to conflict rather than reacting to it? And I'm going to explain as we go. If you have your Bibles, which you always should have your Bibles or your digital device, Turn to 1 Samuel 17. And in 1 Samuel 17, we have a very familiar account. We have the account of David and Goliath. But I, I want to look at what happened after David killed Goliath. You know, David had, done, had just done, through the power of God and through faith, what no one else in the nation of Israel was able to or was even willing to attempt to do, he defeated the giant Goliath. So let's pick it up in verse 54 of 1 Samuel 17. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. That's an image that just always is, just makes me smile. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. And jo then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So David is very young, possibly in his late teens. And God uses him to win this, this dramatic and, and amazing victory over the enemies of Israel. And instantly he becomes the hero of Israel. He goes from being a nobody to a hero. And you would think it would be all smooth sailing for David, right? You know, it's all going to be easy. It's all going to be good. It's, he's going to be living the high life. Now, verse 6. Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out 
of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and joy and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me, they have ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand and Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall, but David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. So Saul is jealous of David's success. Now, so far, all David has done is killed one Philistine. Of course, he was a giant, so we're going to give him some credits for that. But, but Saul is jealous of him, afraid because he knows something. He knows that God is with David, and he knows that God has departed from Saul. And this begins a 20-year time of conflict between King Saul and King David. This morning I'd like to share with you three aspects of responding to conflict. The very first one is take responsibility for your part. In every conflict, there are at least two parties. There's me and there's you. Now, one of the ways that you can tell that you've fallen into the pitfall of, of reacting to conflict rather than responding to it is that you don't pause and examine your part in the conflict. We need to ask ourselves, did I do anything to create this conflict? Or did I do something that, that naturally led to this? Or did I not do something that I should have done that has led to this? Now, we can all think about our relationships. We can think about our marriages. There's, there's places where, where this all comes to bear very easily. Our children, our, 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 our employers, our employees. We can see all of these things. And whenever this conflict happens, we need to ask ourselves the question, what role did I play? Did I play a part in this? And, and that's not natural for us. Our, our, we have a different reaction, typically, to conflict. We don't, we don't look internally, usually. We normally look out. That's why our normal reaction is to look out and see who did what. So David does that. Skip down to chapter 20, verse 1. Then David fled from Naoth. And went and said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So David, David asked, you know, Saul's son, Jonathan, what, what have I done? Tell me what I've done. And, and what created this conflict between us? Now, conflicts will come into every life. If you're breathing, conflict's going to happen. 
But we don't have to fall into the pitfall of reacting to conflicts. If you, if you have a conflict and you examine yourself and see that you've contributed to the conflict, then what should you do? You gotta, you gotta own up to it, you gotta own it. You, you've got to acknowledge the fact that you did something that contributed to the conflict. And that's a big step for us because it requires us humbling ourselves. Maybe humbling ourselves before somebody we don't believe we should humble ourselves. I can't tell you that there have been a few times in my life where I've, I've made a mistake in regards to my children and, you know, going to them and saying, hey, you know what? I blew it. I made a mistake. I handled this wrong. You know, you know they may have done something that I didn't, I didn't approve of, but my response was not right. And I have to go to them and say, you know what? I, I did that wrong. That's not easy. You know, even if your part is exceptionally small and their part is exceptionally large, own your part and you take that part to them and you, and you confess it to them. Say, you know what, this is, this is what I did and that was not right. Even when their reaction is unreasonable or irrational, you ever run into those? There's some conflict going on and there is absolutely no reason for them to be as, you know, messed up in their head as they are and they get completely irrational about it we still need to go even if, when they're being irrational and own our part David hadn't done anything to create this conflict right what did he do he did what God told him to do and killed the giant that's all that he did and there have been times you know, that I, and maybe you too, you like David, found ourselves in conflict with someone through no fault of our own. Especially when we're talking about living in a world whose worldview is so opposite of our own. Just wishing somebody Merry Christmas can be a source of conflict. You know, you know saying to somebody, God bless you, can be a source of conflict. Now, you can be a butt about some of that kind of stuff and, you know, and, and create the conflict. But sometimes it's just us being ourselves. And you know, for, for me personally, there have been times where I have asked someone to forgive me for something they perceive I've done. I don't, I don't pretty sure I didn't do what you think I did, but I'll apologize for it. Why not? Well, but, 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 Hey, they're offended. It doesn't cost me anything to apologize. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for whatever it is you think I've done. And well, you, you need to know what you did. Okay, well, I'll work on that. If you want to avoid the pitfall of reacting to conflict, you must first take responsibility for your part. And brothers, that's sometimes the hardest part is, is taking a step back and just, and just allowing God to minister to your heart and saying, is there something in me that brought this about? Is there something in my behavior? Is there something about my attitude? Is there something about my language? Is there something about this that, that did actually cause this conflict to take place? Not, not something, you know, again, if you're doing what's right and you're doing, you're doing it the best you know how, that's different. But if you actually did something that created the conflict, then you need to own it. The second aspect of responding to conflict is don't take revenge. 
Don't pay back those that you're in conflict with. <clears throat> There's something that happens to a man when he feels like he's being attacked, right? I'm, I'm talking to men here. And so I know that when we feel like we're being attacked, there is something very natural that happens. Turn to your Bibles to Galatians 5. Usually, the natural response of a man when he's being attacked is to a lash out, to defend himself in some way, and typically in an aggressive way. That's, that's the natural masculine response to conflict. Fighting is a part of the male nature. And to ignore that or to deny that is to deny reality. That when God made us, he made us with this capacity to fight. Why? Because sometimes we need to. And somebody needs to. And she is not going to do it. He needs us to do it. He needs us to stand up and to fight when fighting is the right response. But it's not always the right response. That's our natural reaction to conflict. But the natural reaction is not always the right reaction, right? Do we recognize that? Sometimes doing what is natural is absolutely wrong. So just because it's in our nature and it's natural doesn't mean it's always the right response. The Apostle Paul tells us about that, about that, that reaction versus response reality in Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. He, he opens up this section by talking about the, the duality that goes on within all of us. If you're a believer that you're living in, in a, with a duality, you have a spirit nature and a flesh nature. Those two are in you. And they'll always be in you. And they are at odds with one another, which he, continue, he goes on to say, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. I mean, they, 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 they have this, this deep desire to rule the, the other. And so there's, this, there's always this, this desire. The flesh wants to rule over the spirit. The spirit wants to rule over the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. If we're believers in Jesus Christ, we wish to do what is right and good in the sight of God. But because we have this, this conflict within us, we don't do it. We, we, we find that, the, that the, na the natural side of us rises up far too quickly and easily and rapidly. I mean, it's like, it's like sometimes it could be instantaneous. It rises up in us. But he goes on. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. If you are led by the Spirit, there's a key. How do we, how do we transition from reacting to these, these things that create conflict or reacting to conflict and choose to, get, to respond to it? It's by the Spirit. We have to be led by the Spirit. If you're reacting to these things in a fleshly, carnal way, then you can 
you can say, you know what? I'm not being led by the spirit. I'm not being led by the spirit in this moment or in this situation, in this circumstance, in this conflict, whatever it might be. If I'm reacting in the flesh, the spirit is not in control. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelry, revelry, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, as we go through that list, I want to warn you about, about making the definition of those words too narrow. What we like to do is we like to look at a list like that and say, well, I didn't murder anybody today. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. But I remember when Jesus defined some of those words, he expanded the definition dramatically. If you have hatred in your heart for someone, you've murdered them. If you have lust in your mind for a woman, you've committed adultery. We need to expand these definitions so they cover literally every facet of our natural life. Every facet of it. That literally anything that you could imagine doing in the flesh is in that list. Or anything you do in the flesh is in that list. And not, and not try to make it something, oh, well, you know, I, I, I didn't, um, you know, I, I wasn't drunk today. Woohoo! One day sober. I got more than that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. In the same way... That we, can, that we need to expand the definition of those, those, those aspects of the flesh. We do the same thing with the aspects of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit that should cover every facet of our life. And that as we do that, we can examine ourselves and say, that when, we, when we look to respond to a conflict, we have to be able to look at a list like that and say, which side am I falling on? You know, is what I'm about to do an expression of love? I had a conflict with a neighbor, still kind of probably still ongoing. I just ignoring it. But I spent, I spent hours trying to figure out the most lovely, loving way to say the most hateful thing I could think of. I wanted to say something that was scathing and burning, but to say it as an expression of love. Needless to say, I failed miserably. I did not find that, and so I chose to keep my big mouth shut. If we are yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit, then, then chances are we're going to choose that, that response of the Spirit. When we're not tending to our soul, when we're not, we're not, we're not allowing the Spirit to lead us, then the natural response is going to be in the flesh. And it is going to be in that list there somewhere. You know, it's going to be one of the works of the flesh. And while you may not like the way those words fall out, and you may not want to put your reaction to conflict in that list, you just, you're just kidding yourself if you think it doesn't go there somewhere. If you, if you think you can get away by you know reacting in some fleshly way, and, and nobody's going to notice it well you forget who god is then 
Turn back to 1 Samuel, Samuel, 1 Samuel 24. Just because someone attacks us doesn't mean that we should lash out by, you know, react by lashing out at them. Jesus is our great example of that, right? Did people attack Jesus? Yeah. They did it in every conceivable way they did it. God the Son was attacked repeatedly and he chose not to react. Now David, David was given a couple of chances to lash out at King Saul and, and to react to the conflict between the two of them. It's almost as if God just put him in that place, in, in essence, to test him, to see how he would respond. Will you respond to the conflict or react to it? In 1 Samuel 24, verse 1, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where, he was, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend his needs. He went in to relieve himself. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So, so David and all of his men are in this cave and Saul comes in alone and he's pretty vulnerable at this point. We have to imagine he's, you know, he's taking a poop. Then the men of David said to him, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as seems good to you. So his guys, what do they want to do? They want to take him out. This is your chance to take out King Saul. And David arose secretly, cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went his way. David had the opportunity, he had a knife in his hand and Saul was vulnerable. He could have, he could have very easily ended the conflict right in that moment. But he said, no, this is not, this is not right. That would be a reaction, a reaction. He didn't say this probably in this, in these words, but it would be a reaction of the flesh. And, and he would, David would later say on, Hey, you know what? I, I don't know how God is going to deal with Saul, but God is going to deal with Saul. I'm not, that's not my place. I'm going to let God do that. And so that's, that's, that's where we, where we need to put ourselves. David, as well as Jesus, they trusted God to be their defenders. They didn't need to take revenge. They didn't need to pay back this person that's in conflict with them, who's done evil toward them, who's done wrong things to them. And listen, we, we probably all have situations where somebody has, has betrayed us or, or stolen from us or whatever it might be. And, and there's a part of us, a natural part of us wants payback. We want justice, right? We want justice, and, you know, and if God's not going to give it to me, who should, who should do it? I'll volunteer God. Jesus even taught how we should respond. In Matthew 5, 38, it says this. 
You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is a quick background. That was a limit that the, that the Old Testament put on, on, on punishment. That a punishment could not exceed the, you know, the crime, in essence. If somebody pokes out your eye, the most you can do to them is poke out their eye. You know, it, it was called for equal justice. But, Jesus speaking, I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too, which is where the saying going the extra mile comes from. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you and do not turn away. Jesus turned this whole idea of justice on its head and said, hey, no, you know, just... Just don't let God deal with all of that. In the Old Testament, Leviticus 19.18 says this, You shall not take vengeance. What does that mean to us? Who take, when should we take vengeance? Never. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Elsewhere, we're told to leave vengeance to God because he's the only one that can do it right. Anytime we try to take vengeance, we're going to mess it up. Only God is just. Only God is perfect. Only God is holy. And so you take an imperfect person and try to execute perfect justice, it'll always fail. So first, take responsibility for your part. If you played a part, own it, confess it, repent of it. Second, exercise self-control through the Holy Spirit. That's one of the, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Exercise that self-control and choose not to react. Instead, allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and do not take revenge. Third aspect of avoiding the pitfall of conflict, seek to reconcile the conflict. You know, we live in a time where people don't understand how to deal with conflict. They, the conflict to them is, I'm right, you're wrong, and until you stop being wrong, there is no peace, there is no hope. You know, to reconcile, the word reconcile means to cease to cause hostility or opposition or to harmonize or settle. Now, we can't always do that. You know, in the case of David, King Saul was unwilling to reconcile. And they would be in conflict for the rest of King Saul's life. As Christians, reconciliation is part of our calling. When, when Jesus saved us, the very first thing, the, 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 the salvation, <clears throat> excuse me, reconciliation to God. We were, we were reconciled back to God because before Christ, we were alienated from God. We were in conflict. We were at enmity. We were enemies of God because of our sin. Then Jesus, he forgave us of our sin and he reconciled us back to God so that we are now in a relationship. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus, you've been reconciled back to God through Christ and given us the ministry 
of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So God, is, God has reconciled us back to him. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation, and we do that through the expression of the word of reconciliation. Now, the primary reconciliation that's being referred to here is a reconciliation between us and God and between them and God. But if, we're, if, they're recon, if I'm reconciled to God and Monty is reconciled to God, what should our relationship be? also include reconciliation. And so part of what, what this ministry is that should always be in our mind, that if there is a conflict, our end goal is reconciliation. To, to, to eliminate the conflict, if it is possible, and then to, and to eliminate any reason why there ought to be a conflict, we ought to get to a place of unity. Now, that's especially true if we're believers. If we're believers, there should be no conflict between believers. Conflict between believers is sin. And I, I don't care what it is. I don't care what you're, what you're, how you're describing it. If there's conflict between believers, it is sin. And it needs to be dealt with. And here's the thing, guys. If we're going to call ourselves men of God... Where does reconciliation begin? It's got to begin with us. And I start by reconciling myself to God. Say, God, going back to step one, if there's any part in this that I play, and I, and I search my heart and I can't find it, God, if there's something I'm doing that I can't see, I need you to reveal it to me because I know this, this not being reconciled is not right. That we are to be reconciled. And we should be willing to go to whatever length possible to do it. But there is a reality. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. If it is possible, what does that suggest to us? It might not always be possible. The reality is there's times where it's just not going to be possible to reconcile. Either because the, the, you know, the, they're just, somebody is unwilling to do it. That's the most common reason why a reconciliation can't happen. Because one or both parties are unwilling to reconcile. Paul is saying that we ought to do our part, whatever that is. Whatever it costs us, whatever it takes, we ought to do our part. Not only that, but Jesus tells us to go the extra mile, to go beyond, above and beyond what is expected of us to reconcile. Do we have any examples of that? Well, how about Jesus? Did Jesus go the extra mile to reconcile you to the Father? Should we be unwilling to, to do something far less than stepping out of heaven and taking on human flesh and dying a horrible death on a cross. Is there anything you could possibly do that even compares to that, to reconcile? There should be no limit to what we're willing to do. Now, there, the reality also is that there are maybe times where God says, you know what, you just, there have been people in my life 
or they, they, they entered, they, a conflict developed, and I did my part to reconcile it. I don't share this very often, but when we first launched the church, I came out with a number of families. One of the, one of the guys was, um, he was my assistant pastor. And something happened at some point. And I could, to this day, I can't tell you what happened because he never told me. But he, he just, something, a conflict arose. And it was obvious. It was all one-sided. It was all him in conflict with me. And I, 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 I sat down with him. I, I begged him to tell me what was going on. So that, I, tell me what I need to do. Tell me how I need to fix this. And he wouldn't do it. And, and, and eventually we had to part ways. And it, and it broke my heart at the time. It still breaks my heart. But it was interesting because God told me shortly after it, okay, that's done. I, I tried for a little while to try to reconcile this man, and God said, okay, that's enough. It's time to move on. And there are times where God's going to do that. You know, God's going to say, okay, for whatever reason, that relationship needs to end, and, and I'm, I have ended it. That's one of my personal beliefs is that any relationship that God initiates, God has to end. I won't do it. But if God ends it, okay, I'm going to be okay with that. It may break my heart. I've had one of those recently, um, and, uh, and it's, I'm still wrestling with that one. But we're to seek reconciliation as long as that's possible. As long as reconciliation is possible, we're to seek it. And only God can tell you when it's time to stop that. And you have to trust him to do it when it's time. Now, one last thing before we close. There's one overarching principle that must be present when we're dealing with conflict. And we have to remember it because if we don't, we won't move through the steps of reconciliation or to the step of reconciliation. We just won't get there. Jesus commanded us to love first one another, but then beyond that to others as well. In Matthew 22, 34 through 40, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets throughout the entire process of dealing with conflict. We must continually be asking ourselves, how can I love God by loving this person? Through conflict, in the midst of conflict. And before you do or say anything, you ought to examine yourself and say, is what I'm about to say, will it communicate love? Even if that person doesn't understand it, even if that person doesn't receive it, am I doing my best to communicate love? And what I'm about to do, does it manifest love? Because if it doesn't, if it doesn't communicate love, that means it's not spirit-led. Even when Jesus was doing some things that we look at and say, dang, that's a little harsh. 
It was an expression of God's love. When he called the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees out and called them hypocrites, it was because they were so hard-hearted that unless he took a sledgehammer to them, they weren't going to get it. Guys, conflict is coming. Maybe it's already here. Maybe you're already in conflict. And in my life, I have, I have come to understand that it's not always bad. Right? We, we often think conflict is bad. Conflict, eh, no good. Hate conflict. I'm not convinced about that. I have seen in my life where conflict reveals things about me or the relationship that I need to see that maybe I would not see or understand without the conflict. And that conflict means there's a disconnection between us. And if we can resolve it correctly, then that disconnection goes away. And the relationship becomes better. And good comes out of it. Conflict is always an opportunity for God. An opportunity for him to be glorified. It's an opportunity for others to be blessed. It's another opportunity for faith to grow. And as men, we need to make the decision that, okay, conflict is coming. Conflict is a part of life. But we need to choose to respond to conflict in such a way that we are moving toward reconciliation. Again, that's the goal. The goal is reconciliation. If there is conflict, that means there's a disconnection and the only solution that we should be seeking is reconciliation. Whatever that takes, we take responsibility for our part. We choose to exercise self-control and how we, how we respond to it. And we don't, we don't react to the conflict, but we respond to it in a way that glorifies God, blesses others and grows faith. And then we choose to let the Holy Spirit help us to follow the example of Lord Jesus. He's the best, he's our best example of what it looks like when somebody is dealing with conflict because Jesus dealt with conflict a lot. I mean, every time the scribes and Pharisees showed up, and I just, I just taught like the last week, I think it was, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees got together to see if they could trap him. And the way he handles it was so perfect. Now, you're not gonna be perfect, but we can do better, right? If we take these principles to heart, here's the promise. If we, if we change the way we view conflict, one, God wants to use it. He wants to use it for his glory. He wants to use it to make me better. He wants to use it to, to reconcile relationships. He wants to use conflict for good. If I can change the way I think about that, then and, and I choose to respond in the spirit rather than react in the flesh, it's going to change your relationships. It'll change your relationship with your spouse, your children, your, your neighbors, your coworkers, whoever they might be, your pastor. Maybe you need to deal with your relationship with your pastor. I don't know. Whatever it might be. And I promise you, it'll make your life better. If you can deal with conflict, it'll make your life better. We need to choose our battles wisely because when it comes time to fight, we need to. When it comes time for us to, to, to fight, we fight in the strength of the Lord. We fight with the weapons that he gave us. There is a time to fight, 
But usually that's not the right response. Usually response is reconciliation. Most of the time, God wants to resist that natural temptation that men have because that's the way God made us. He made us to be able to fight. He made us that way. Everything about us is made that way. But he wants us to resist that temptation. I mean, look at Jesus. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. Well, he did technically have to go to the cross. They didn't make him go. There's no power in the universe could have made Jesus go to the cross except him and his father's plan for us. He chose to, to do that work of reconciliation that only he could do. What do we do? Take responsibility. If there's conflict, take responsibility for your part. Don't lash out. Be self-controlled. Don't take revenge. And then take the initiative and seek to reconcile. And then we make love the underlying motivation for it all. We do it because God loves us. We do it because we love God. And we do it because we love God by loving everyone else. And then we trust God to work miracles in our life and in our relationships. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come, thank you for this chance to get together. And, and I pray for these men. And I don't, I don't know that I could name any particular conflicts in, the, in this moment. But chances are there's something or, or they've just come out of something or maybe just heading into something. Lord, we have to live in a world that, that doesn't understand what conflict is about. They don't understand what, what, how to deal with stuff like this, Lord God. And you call us to be light. You call us to be true. You call us to be holy and pure. And so I pray for these men, Lord, even, even just us few, Lord God, as we, as we go out into this world and we get into this place where conflict is, is a reality and a possibility, that we would go with such, such resolve that we know what our goal is. Our goal is wherever possible to live peaceably among all men. And while that's not always possible, that's our goal. And that means that we are striving for reconciliation. That means we are being self-controlled when those conflicts arise. And that we're examining ourselves to see if there's a reason why this, there's a reason in us that why this conflict happened. And we know, Lord, sometimes just being right, being true, like David, just doing what it is you told him to do, and conflict arose. We know that's going to be happening in life. We know that if we do what is right, there's still going to be conflict. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us, that it, when that happens, that we will respond like Christ responds. That we'll respond in a way that points people to you, our loving Father. And that through that, Lord, that we might experience the, the peace that, that, that this whole world just longs for so desperately. I pray for these men. Give them, give them the courage not to fight. But when it comes time to fight, give them the courage to fight and to fight hard. I thank you for them. I pray for your blessing over them and I lift them up to you now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us for the Rise Up series. 
It's our hope that these messages will help you to grow in your faith. If you have questions or if there's anything that we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. And one of the ways that we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying with you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has blessed you in any way, has been useful to you in any way, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfe.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.